Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused On Forward. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Stacy Toy. Stacy has a very intriguing story. So intriguing for me because uh, of the fact of her husband's addiction, uh, his loss, and what she did afterwards that uh, for many of us may have not been able something that we would be able to do. But uh, it's, it's very interesting. And I'm going to leave it at that because I want to make sure that Stacy has a chance to tell you herself. So Stacy, thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, excited to have you. So what I'll do now, Stacy, is I'm just going to turn it over to you and I'm going to let you tell the good folks all about Stacy Toy and your your story about your journey, what happened and and what you know, how you moved uh, forward from it. Sure. Okay. So um you know, when I was uh growing up, I grew up on a farm. Uh you know, we wanted for nothing, but we didn't have extra if if you know and that means um so essentially my parents told me like we couldn't write a check to have you travel the world or to go do whatever you want to do so you've kind of have to figure out other ways how to do it like go scholarships go to school um you know things like that so I did that route um and I uh in the process, unknowingly to everybody else was um, taking a lot of painkillers like opioids and stuff because I had a really bad um, ovarian cyst and, and, and things like that. And so when I got into Oxford, um, I moved overseas and was going to school over at the best school in the world. I'm taking about 70 to 100 Vicodin a day. Uh, now, mind you, this was pre-opioid epidemic crisis so it was like 17 20 years ago where you know it wasn't an issue yet um so when I did actually um try and help like try and ask for help and things like that um it 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 became very difficult because it wasn't like I was uh, using heroin or underage drinking or I mean it was my own prescriptions and so it was like nobody knew what to do with me uh, oh, so, just real, just I'm sorry to interrupt real quick, but I just want to make sure that the the audience heard the number correctly because it, this still floors me. <laughs> it was seventy to one hundred a day. Correct? Yes, at the peak. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's yep, a lot. It is. Uh, I mean, I have I've gotten tests done in the past uh, with like UCLA, color uh genome map like all these different ones that have tested my genetics and it's essentially like opioids 
uh, fentanyl, all that kind of stuff has the least reduced effect. And my body also metabolizes things just quicker. Like, so a normal coffee, like where you is could drink one cup of coffee and be fine. I'd need three or four cups of coffee in order just to feel it because my, like the way that my body metabolizes things. Okay. That's also was like five years of building up to that too. So you know, it's not just like, oh, one day I woke up and I took a hundred <laughs> and no, right. I mean, it was like the tolerance level was building up to it. So, yeah. okay. <clears throat> but yeah, so, um, that was like the craziest, hardest, uh, time of my life, which I would not go back and regret because it was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, but flat, flash forward, um, about nine years ago on veterans day, um, uh, my husband passes away. Uh, he comes home from the Navy. We had two children um, at the time, six and four years old. Um, he had come home because he wanted to be closer to the family and and find a job here. And PTSD happened. Like he was, he was trying to get help. He was seeing people. Um, he was, he was, you know, on on treatment for depression and and a lot of different things. So. Uh, ultimately on Veterans Day in 2011, uh, we got married on 777 and he died on 11-11-11 on Veterans Day. So uh, we were both 28 years old and our kids were six and four. So it was a crazy time in my life. Um, But uh, I remembered being an addict. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, and dealing with all this stuff. And so it really bothered me that I couldn't help my husband. So I decided to help the person that was still around. And that was the person who basically shot him up and killed him. Um, And so I ended up reaching out to him and um, meeting with him in a halfway house. uh, And I took him out to lunch uh, right after my husband died. And I basically said, like, I know how this feels. Um, I will help you to become the husband to your wife and your father to your two sons that mine can no longer be and I'll forgive you. Uh, so he like, couldn't believe it because nobody would be, you know, was normally willing to help him. So he's like, you're the one person who's supposed to hate me. And yet you're the only person willing to help me. And I'm like, I've been there before, man, you know? So, um, you know, so I, I did the best I could. I, I helped him. I talked to him all the time. I picked him up and take him to work. I stopped and visit him. And I mean, we, we kept in touch um, with everything. And so, you know, he was shooting 50 plus bags a day at the time. And uh, he was the worst of them all. And currently right now, him and I are the only ones left alive. Everybody else has been the death of addiction. Um, out of oh, like wow. six or seven people, me and him are the only two alive now. So, and I'm really wow. proud of him. He's got his own business. He's got his family back, you know, so I'm excited. So how did you come to the realization that this is what you wanted to do? Because now admittedly, most people aren't going to, to look at the situation and say, this is the person that, that my, my spouse died with or the reason why my, my spouse died, let's go help them. So what was it? I mean, other than the fact that you were, you, you had some addiction issues yourself, what was it that made you say, you know, this is what I want um, to do? Because nobody wanted to help me when I was going through it. The only person who did help me was my dad. Um, and I, I'm, 
I'm a go against a grain kind of person, you know, like, I don't care. Like they all wanted me to, you know, put him in prison and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's a second home, you know, what is it going to do? Um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, leave the world with a bunch of toothless blind people, in my opinion. So, <laughs> well, yeah, there is that, uh, yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, so now you mentioned that he had some, so his level of addiction was pretty strong, you know, 50 plus bags a day. So where, how long was the process for helping him through his addiction? Um, like from start to finish? Sure. I mean, from the time where you said, hey, I'm going to help you to the point where you no longer had to help him. Oh, well, the thing is, is he was really good at helping himself too. Once somebody like just gave him a little bit of support which was a good thing um i gave him a bible i gave him um cell phone minutes and i gave him like rides back and forth to work when it was really cold or rainy or any of that kind of stuff um and nobody else was working with him and then i'd you know i'd i'd stop and i'd say let's go have lunch and i'd buy him lunch and stuff so he didn't have to eat the halfway house lunch and so you know it was it was just one of those things where he was at the lowest point. Nobody was ever willing to help him or give him another shot just because, you know, he's screwed up his shots in the past. But this one was a little bit different, I think, because it was like, wow, you took from me. And now because of that, like, you're giving me a life back. You know what I mean? And and so, I don't know. It's just a different dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about your your mental and emotional state while going through this how what was the impact on you personally uh throughout this process i was like a deer and like getting slammed by a you know jeep in the middle of the night like nobody saw coming that's for damn sure i mean you're never ready for anything like that but like you know i just celebrated it was nine years ago uh this past month so it's like things happen in life and like it's it's perception and reaction it's how you perceive it and then how you perceive it is how you can react to it so if you see it differently you're going to react to things differently and i don't care what anybody else says especially because i used to be one of those drug addicts and nobody wanted to help them and so why wouldn't i want to help them because that is one of me you know it could be you it could be her you never know when it's going to happen so and i hope to god it doesn't but if you're here, you might as well make the best of it, you know? No, I, I, I applaud your, your viewpoint out of it. I, I think that that's, it's still, you know, because um, when I talked to my wife, even I said, well, I'm going to interview this lady today and I'm, you know, this is her story and this is what, you know, uh, of what I know of it. And she's like, so she helped him? I'm like, yeah. She's like, why? I'm like, I don't know, but that's what I want to find out. <laughs> Got to be so good a good yeah. person. And like, honestly, I, when I met with him the first time, I was perfectly ready for him to tell me to go like F myself. And I would have been okay with that because forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you, you know? And so I, I'd be like, hey, I tried, but he was so broken and had and didn't have anybody either. So it was like, hey, I'll help you. You tried to, you know, step on my toes, abuse my, you know, the privilege and, and whatever I'm gone. 
Uh, and he, but he was like, no, I I'm done. I'm ready. And, and he was. And so not only was I able to prove that the only thing more powerful than drugs and addiction and depression is love and forgiveness, but it sustained itself because up until about three months ago, I hadn't seen him for about two years, you know, and he has, he has his own business now and it's successful and he has his kids. And I mean, it's a wonderful thing for him. And it's a great thing for me to see that I could take something bad and turn it into something good. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's fantastic um, that you guys are able to maintain or sustain that that type of relationship moving forward. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a couple questions about about your your husband. Sure. If that's uh-huh. okay. So now you said that he was uh, uh, a veteran coming home uh, from the Navy and, and dealing with PTSD. So how did how did he get to the point where or, or how did he get an interaction with heroin? How did that all begin? Um, well, he didn't know how to do it. Hence why that person had to shoot him up because he didn't know how to. So it wasn't a thing. Uh, the PTSD thing was um, he was trying to get things under control, but he also was a jet mechanic on uh, the aircraft carriers. So he's seen where the jets had land um, and went, when they're supposed to catch that cable cord there to stop the jet, it's like snapped in half and like, you know, people have gotten broken in half, like, cause it just flies. Sure. Yeah. I mean, almost getting, you know, fixing a jet door and like the wind catching it and almost taking you over. And I mean, he, and don't, don't forget too, we graduated. He graduated the same year as me. We weren't high school sweethearts or anything. We've always been friends since we were five, but when we graduated, it was two, uh, June 2001. So right out of boot camp was September 11th and stuff too. So it was like, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you get our generation, no generation is used to doing that, but nobody expects like things like that to happen. And it's a lot. And then it's like five years worth of it. But he, I mean, he followed along with the Blue Angels. Um, again, as a jet mechanic, he was um, stationed over in Rota, Spain for a, a while. And, you know, we got to meet up traveling over there um, when I was at Oxford. And I mean, it was just, a, it was a cool experience. And he wasn't that kind of person his whole life. But when, when all that stuff kind of happened, um, a lot of drugs, as in doctor prescribed drugs came into play. And I uh, Personally, that's where things started going downhill um, when they have you on like Seroquel and Ativan and, you know, uh, Xanax and uh, I'm like, like he, he's just like a zombie, you know? And so um, it was just a, it was just a, a, um, a long bad demise. But uh, the coroner said that had that not happened, there was a genetic malfunction in his heart. So within six months, he would have had a massive heart attack. And then that's, you know, so if I had to choose uh, between the two, I think I would have chose him just falling asleep to uh, an accidental overdose as, as opposed to having a massive, like he, they said his art, arteries were almost 90% corroded. Like then what kind of a position? Oh, yeah, I, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just have to believe that it was for a good thing. And then the way that Nick, the guy that, you know, I helped afterwards, I, Hey, I mean, there's only little things you could do, but if you're not the example, you can't bitch about it. <laughs> oh, agreed. No, and I have some experience in dealing with, you know, I'm not former military, but I have family members who are, 
and having watched them go through the uh, the VA and trying to get medicines and it's it's instead of getting real help, it seems that many times it's just let's write a script and you know and move them along their way. Uh, and so you know, for instance, uh, I have a family member who who'd go there and it was just it was okay. Well, you know, you didn't like that one. Let's try this one and here's a different medicine. And it was just mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I don't think that there was. Ever, I never really felt like there was real help given. I always felt that it was just, let's get a script, move them on out the door and get the next one in. It was almost, you know, it was like a cattle farm for medicines. Yeah, um, still and, is kind of. <laughs> yeah. And so when, you know, when you described uh, your husband getting to the point where it was almost zombie-like moving, going, kind of going through the motions, um, I, I understand that. Uh, Every pill well. was counted for too the day that he died to the T. So it's not like he was abusing his pills or... I mean, he followed everything to the T, uh, but he just wanted some relief because when you're like uppers, downers, lefters, writers, I mean, come on, you can't get good with that. No, but. no, they, they have those, they have those poor guys uh, kind of running in a circle with those medicines. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that, see now that, that helps me understand why he may have turned to, to an outside, uh, you know, aid such as heroin and things like that. Because having watched people go through the motions of those things and dealing with them, you know, there's there's a need uh, for some type of additional relief that's outside of that that square box. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. That I okay. So um, so he turned so he turned to to those for that for that aid for that assistance. So in having your own experience with uh, addiction and, and things. What were some of the things that you personally had to do in order to help yourself move forward? Because now you, you've talked about how you helped this other gentleman mm-hmm. move forward uh, and help him get himself on the square. But how did Stacy help herself back in the the days of the oh so many Vicodins? <laughs> yes. Well, I'll be 17 years clean off of all that hard stuff uh, that was in October. So I had an amazing father. Uh, we, like I said, we grew up on a farm, so we didn't have much, but my father, um, he, and I didn't know this until we went through it myself, uh, but he was one of the first people with Oxycontin in the nineties because he got hurt at work and is with his back. So he understood the withdrawal and the coming down from it. It wasn't anything that I ever even noticed or because I was a kid, Um, but he was able to stand by my side. He literally stood up every night when I needed to talk or when I just like, he would just keep an eye on me. And then every single day I had to go to the family doctor and I had to take either a urine test or a blood test to prove that I had nothing in my system for, and that went on for about two or three months. Um, I, they just didn't want rehab to be on my record, which I don't, think that it can be on your record now I don't even know but whatever the case is they cared enough about me to give me a try um and in the meantime my father's like reminding me who I was because he's like you don't know who you are you know and so he'd tell me all the stories about you know uh my great-grandparents where they gave them just a couple days to live and uh, you know, and my great grandmother said, Nope, I have a job to do. I have to raise my my boys. And she, 
went on to live for 25 years after and outlived the doctor, you know, like, and stories like that just keep going and going. And he's like the, the same blood that ran through their veins runs through yours. So the tenacious toys, he invented the tenacious toys. So he's like, you could do it, you know? And so they get back up and he's like, it doesn't matter if you get up, but one foot in front of the other and you say hello to somebody and that's the best you can do. Fine. You did good. All right. We'll try again tomorrow. You know? So um, I think it's just the change in the mentality. I went from the what was me to the, you know, I have hope in me type thing. And um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thankful so much for my dad for, for giving me that mentality. Okay. No, that's cool. Uh, your dad sounds like a great man. Um, you know, but so, so some of the other people that I've talked to who are balancing, uh, you know, the the post addiction life and having to have moved forward past those things, they talk about having to change their people, their places, their things, not only if, if it's alcohol, but also for drug addiction as well. Um, what were some of the people, places, things that you had to change in, in order to help yourself not only get clean, but stay clean? Oh, I had everything. I don't like change. All, most of my friends dropped me anyways, because at the point when they found out I had been asking for help, but nobody knew what to do with me, like I said. So I became more of a liability. I was like a uh, threat to myself and others, I guess is what they would call it, you know, just because I was down and I was asking for help. Um, so I didn't have a lot of friends. All of the, you know, sometimes the garbage takes itself out, I guess, in those moments in time. Um, but I didn't have anybody uh, except for maybe like two or three people. Uh, but I still went back to school the following semester and I, I kept going and, you know, it was really difficult, but my father really pushed that. He's like, you're going to show them, like, if you can do this, you're going to do it and you're going to finish it. And I did. So, <laughs> so you finished school at Oxford then? Uh, not, no, I went to Oxford. I actually went back to Oxford a couple of times to do a couple of different courses. Um, I graduated from Elizabethtown, which is where I got to Oxford from. It was a study abroad program. And then I ended up, uh, um, uh, you know, going into these other classes over there that weren't uh, connected to that. But yeah, ultimately, I ended up getting my master's degree in journalism um, from the University of Maryland. So I've been all over the place, but then I was accredited twice from the board of Oxford University for when my book comes out, uh, eventually <laughs> it'll be like, goodbye, you know? So yeah, that's cool. I just like to learn a lot. <laughs> no, that's great. I think that's fantastic. All right. So cool. So yeah, so there was definitely a change of your people, your places, your things. So, okay. Um, now, a couple other people that I've talked to when it comes to um, you know, addictions and, and these things, they kind of have, some of them have almost a mantra, a, a daily thing that they, that they do to help themselves move forward. Do you use anything along those lines? Is there something that you tell yourself each and every day? Yep. Uh, that my know, number one rule, so, don't be an asshole. You seem simple. <laughs> that seems pretty, I was gonna say that's, that's a pretty solid one. Seems simple. <laughs> It's increasingly more difficult in 2020, I think, but yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cause you know, some of them, I, I we've had different varying degrees of, of uh, what uh, the mantras are for each and every person, but okay. Um, 
what is the the hardest part about all of this for you? What was the hardest thing? Now, past the point of asking for help, past the point of actually going and getting the help, what is the most difficult or the hardest thing that you've had to do in regards with your own sobriety since then? Um, well, I mean, not only bury my husband, but also stay strong for our our kids at the time that were six and four, and also realized that that could have very well been me, you know, going into the ground. Life um, and reality and and all of that stuff is not something that I hide from. Um, I get autopsies for Christmas from my, you know, deputy coroner cousin. Um, just, I like to see how like life is real and stuff like that, but it makes me not take it for granted, if you will. Um, yeah, I don't know. We get dealt cards and and the hardest thing I think I ever had to do is accept uh, you know, the the flag. I don't deserve to be saluted. I didn't go over there. I am way too chicken shit to go over and do anything that, you know, any of our men and will, men and women will men and women of the military can do. Um, you know, so it's like I didn't feel like I deserved it, but it was I don't know how you get the strength either because it's like you accept it and like I handed it over to the boys and I'm like, aren't you so proud of daddy? Because I didn't want it to be like a traumatic experience. I wanted it to be like a proud moment for them. Um, right. And so yeah. they're doing, they're doing very well. And uh, they just honored my husband this year on the wall of heroes. Uh, the boys, both of our boys were there and, and I was, and it was so, so nice. It's um, essentially a wall of heroes for people who fought for us overseas, but then didn't get to make, they lost the battle when they got home, you know, whether suicide or addiction or whatever, depression. And so it, that's it, a nice it's, honor. Yeah, it's exciting. I was really thrilled about it. It was, they couldn't have done a better job. No, it's nice that, that, that respects are paid. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you you've moved past all that now you've mentioned um that you're you're writing a book and uh working on a book and i know that you have a, a film out there we'll get to those in just a moment um but there's a couple more questions i'd like to ask you before we get to those now one there, there's two things that i always like to talk to every guest about and because i like to see how each individual person uses what's happened in their life to to you know how it affects them so first one is looking back over the entirety of your life's journey without reducing it uh down to just one sentence what's the most important thing that life has taught you um to love and forgive no matter what okay yeah, so love, and, I, and I, I, I'll go back to the sentence you said earlier, and I really like that I wrote it down, in fact, that forgiveness isn't for the other person, it's for you. I, I really, I like that. I think that uh, really kind of hits home because I think that uh, just looking at your story, if anybody was going to be uh, unwilling to forgive somebody for something, I think uh, helping someone uh, lose their life, lose their battle, I think is uh, pretty pretty high up there. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to carry that weight around though, because it just weighs you no. down. To, um... No, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Um, now you mentioned that your dad had a pretty big impact on you and the stories that he told you and, and things along those lines. So I think your dad will probably be involved in this next question, although I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not guaranteeing it. 
but the other question I like to ask is now when I was 16, I was in about, I was in a pretty dark place myself. And, and I, I had somebody give me some advice and that advice said, it's not how you fall down that matters. It's that you get back up. Mm-hmm. And my kids are probably sick of hearing that because I repeat that advice to them. That is probably my life's mantra at this point. I use that for just about everything in life um, because it doesn't matter how we fall. We're all imperfect. We're all going to make mistakes. It's that we get back up and we keep moving. Right. Can't so, life keep you down. <laughs> absolutely. So what is the best piece of advice that Stacy Toy has ever been given that you use on a day-to-day basis? I, I don't know. I, I learned don't be an asshole from someone and, and I adopted it. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I don't, these, like the mantra stuff is great, but I don't even think it's like the mantra thing. I think it's just, I always make sure I take the time and I take three seconds or five seconds, like all random times throughout the day. And I just look around and see where I'm at, you know, whether I'm on stage and just be grateful for that moment. Or if I'm just walking in the, like walking in the woods and stuff, it's like, I'm walking on this trail, like not too long ago. And I'm like, you know, the muddy or the muddy oak was once just an acorn or stood its ground. And I'm like walking on thousands of acorns and I'm thinking, which is the one that's going to stick and how come, you know, like, so I'm just one of those people that like tries to just take it all in and learn from everything around me. I guess I'm an old hippie if you want. (laughs) That's okay. You're an old soul. That's fine. Uh, No, but I I think that's good too. I, I, you know, I mean, some people call it a mantra. I just call it a a saying for life, but I I think that, that uh, your approach to things is actually, I think it's very healthy. I think that that's a, a good thing to do because it allows you to look at different aspects of, of all these different situations and scenarios uh, of life and try and find a, a healthy way through them. So I think that's good. Okay. So the time has come that we need to talk about Stacy Toy. Let's talk about the things that you've got going on. You said you're working on a book and I know that you have a movie out there. So tell everybody a little bit about each and, or what you what you can tell us about each and and what you're working on and, and uh, how these things are came about. Well, the first one, um, 100 Acres of Hell is now currently streaming on like Amazon and Voodoo and uh, On Demand and all these streaming pl- uh, platforms. So if you look it up, it stars WWE superstar Gene Snitsky and uh, supporting actor is uh, Ernie O'Donnell from Clerks and all the Kevin Smith movies. So that is awesome. Um, it's actually up for a really big award and it's going to be featured up at the magic castle on December 11th at uh shock fest film festival. Um, and Ernie O'Donnell is actually up for a supporting actor role. So we don't, we obviously can't go out there, uh, because we're East coast, but we do have some of our people out there in West coast to accept it, which is exciting. Uh, the book part. <clears throat> so I'm currently writing, I'm working with a writer to write a screenplay based off of the events of my life, basically my addiction and losing my husband to it and forgiving the guy and then everything in between. Um, and so we're working on that. And when that could, like gets together and we can film it um, and, and comes out, I'm just going to release like all of my journals and everything else. Cause I, I was a journalism major, I'm a writer at heart. Uh, my entire life I've kept journals that's like where I just put all my thoughts and so I kept everything 
Um, and I want to release those too. So kind of everybody could see the change in like my handwriting or how I'm thinking or like, how, oh my God, there's days it's just like anxiety, you know, like, and, and it's just insane. Even I didn't even realize like, wow, I was like really bad. Like um, until you go back and, and actually get back into your head from back then. Um, it's interesting. So if I'm going to put the movie out, if I'm going to tell everybody what's going on, here you go, here's the books. Ultimately, I wanted to be somebody uh, that I didn't have at three o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep and, and I had nobody to talk to. And I was like, you know, at my worst and like wanting to kill myself and because I didn't know what to do or turn. Um, and so I hope that those kinds of resources would be able to help somebody because there's no inspirational memes back in uh, 2003 because Instagram didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, cool. So where, um, so you talked about, you know, the, the movies out on all these different streaming platforms. Where's an, uh, is there any one website that people can go for to find out and more information about you? Should they want to find out information about sure. you? If you want, um, you can look up on my IMDb. I have an IMDb page. Um, I have Stacy Toy, S-T-A-C-E-Y-T-O-Y um, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Don't forget the E or else it goes to my cousin and I probably won't see it for six months or so. Um, <laughs> and then 258 Studios, the number 258studios.com is our production company. Um, and you can find us there spelled out 258 Studios on Facebook and on Instagram. All right. Very cool. So, yeah, so a, a lot to consider, a lot to, to take in here. Um, let me ask you one more question before we, we let you go here. Sure. What's the biggest piece of advice that you can give someone who is not right now struggling? Um, you got to do something. <laughs> I, whatever it is, you got to do. you if you want to go to a meeting, go to a meeting. If you hate going to the meetings, then go find something else. You know, like you're always going to find something that you're not going to like in the beginning, but you got to find something that's going to at least keep moving you forward. Because if you don't, you're done. You know, if you want to get help, you'll get help. So I know it's a terrible, like weird, hard thing to say, but like all of us get thrown into it and it's the worst point in time. So it's like, let's figure it out but at least keep going. If you don't like this, that's fine. Then try something else, but don't stop trying because there's something for everyone out there. You know, some rehabs don't allow you to watch TV and play music and stuff. That would never fly for me. It won't fly no. for a lot of people, but if you can have somebody at least say, I could pick my guitar or something and, and they can write songs at a certain point, then that might be for them. So you have to really do your homework. Um, and I know it's the worst point in time, but you have to, and, and family has to be supportive. And if they're not, then you have to make, you know, your own new family, if you will, somehow. And you have to be able to trust people at some point, but just do it. Because if you don't do something, you're going to be dead. Yeah. Something is definitely better than nothing and don't yeah. quit. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for, for being on today, Stacey. I've, I've enjoyed your conversation and, and uh, I, I, have to tell you i'm i am so very impressed by by the fact of and i know that's not why you, you do these interviews and things along those lines but uh, i know you're not looking for accolades but I, I do find it impressive that you were able to uh forgive this other man you're able to help him and i think that speaks a lot about you and your character and and so kudos to you for doing so thank but, you so much i almost had to die for this stuff to happen <laughs> they, yeah, right oh 
But well, thank uh, you so much. I really do appreciate everything. Yeah, no, this is great. I I very much enjoyed having you on. And uh, we'll be sure to share the, your additional contact information uh, when we post this episode. Perfect. If you need All anything right. else, give me a holler. All right, will do. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.